Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, hello and welcome back to the Addiction Connection. This is the 10th episode on the addiction side of things. And we are going to do part two of the community effects. So how having an MAT program in your community positively impacts that community. This time we're going to speak a little bit more about the medical side. So how it impacts positive things with pregnancy, uh, infectious diseases, namely HIV and hepatitis C, as well as how it can help in the emergency departments. So, Kurt's favorite topic, pregnancy. I've never been pregnant. I have. Yeah. A hundred times. At least. Just four. So, let's (laughs) talk about pregnancy. Go ahead. Okay. You're you're the one that's been pregnant. Okay. So, people... On who are pregnant who have use disorders, opioid use disorders, what they have found out that having MAT programs in the area and available for these patients um, really do overall improve the birth outcomes. So for the babies and the moms, patients who have an untreated opioid use disorder. So the moms who are still using their substances, whether it's heroin or other um, diverted opioids or just uh, controlled substances um, have an increased risk of low birth weight babies. They have higher intrauterine growth restriction. They have placental changes. And of course, methadone having been around a lot longer is always been the standard of chair, but now standard of chair, standard of chair, standard of care um, for pregnant patients with substance and opioid use disorders. But now that buprenorphine has kind of been around a little bit longer, there are a few disad- or excuse me, a few advantages to a buprenorphine program, even over a methadone program. Yeah. And I think that the biggest issue really is if you look at small town USA uh, is that there typically is not methadone available easily for this patient group. And so if it is right in your community, what an advantage that is for the patient as far as accessibility and also the same person that is uh, seeing them through their OB care can also be taking care of their buprenorphine. Well, and I think the other thing with small town is most of us do not have NICUs um, or nor are comfortable taking care of ba- babies who have um, neonatal abstinence syndrome or neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. Now is what it's now referred to. Yeah, it was sad when our 25-bed critical Critical Access Hospital closed its NICU uh, a couple of years ago. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. But, you know, I think we're going to jump to some of the, the advantages of buprenorphine over methadone as far as on this, but I'm going to deviate a hair again, is that anecdotally, again, I've delivered now, what, six babies whose moms have been on buprenorphine and in our program, um, already. And the one thing that they like the most, if you just ask the moms, what do you like the most about this? You know, it's, it's obviously they've had their pregnancy, their prenatal care, their baby's going home with them and there's no, you know, child protection. But the best thing is, is they don't feel judged. They know that I'm taking care of them for their pregnancy and their buprenorphine. I'm going to be there in the hospital. The hospital is smaller. There's fewer people that know anything about them. They're smaller, you know, just fewer staff. There's the same nurses that they've known there forever. And there's, it's just a smaller, more homey place for them. They just are much more comfortable delivering their babies there. 
But if you're going to compare the buprenorphine to methadone, the, especially when you're referring to the opioid withdrawal for baby, is that the duration of that withdrawal, if the baby has it, is definitely going to be shorter. Yeah. And I think that, um, the, interestingly, it doesn't seem to be related so much to dosing. And I think early on there was that uh, concern that the higher dose of bup uh, was really uh, more of an issue. And in fact, there may be a slow increase in their dose during their pregnancy, but it really doesn't relate so much to how much trouble they have with nows. And and that's a bigger thing to convince the patients. Yes. They, all, they all want to come down. They just think being on a lower dose is going to be better for the baby when really, thankfully, it's not related. Yeah. And I think early on when uh, when we started to see these patients who are now pregnant in our program, there was a lot of concern that the smoking uh, was a bit of an issue. And there's some data originally that came out saying that the risk of uh, of them going through withdrawal was actually uh, higher if the mom smoked. And I think at this point, uh, we obviously want the patients to stop smoking. But uh, that's probably less of a concern than initially thought. Yeah, I think if you're aware, obviously, if you can't get them to quit smoking, which of course is, is healthier for the baby in general, it's it's it does complicate the withdrawal picture because they are the babies are going to have some withdrawal from that nicotine. But when you are having a mom in labor and they are on buprenorphine, another advantage to buprenorphine versus the methadone um, is how the babies look. So obviously mom's in labor and you put the monitors on them and you're monitoring the fetal heart tones, the babies look better. Their variability is better. They have more accelerations, which means the baby's heart rate goes up. That's better. Um, they're just babies just look better. Uh, when you look at even more premature end of the spectrum, those babies look better on the monitor. So when you're sitting there staring at monitors of a mom in labor, they're a lot nicer when the mom is on buprenorphine yeah, versus uh, methadone. And I think no matter where you are, uh, when you're putting uh, patients on buprenorphine on the OB floor, there uh, there's concern, and nurses uh, don't feel like maybe sometimes they have the training. And I think you know in our community we we made sure that that was uh, that that was happening. You know you have to really be concerned about uh, are there patients uh, being exposed to pay, to staff who have a bit of a stigma issue, or um, you know I think those things are real, and so staffing can become a bit of an issue. I think one thing to remember in smaller critical access hospital is the length of stay. And initially we were pushing like we are going to keep every one of these babies and if we have to treat them because they're in withdrawal, you know, often these babies could potentially be in a NICU for, you know, up to three weeks and that's just going to throw off critical access hospital numbers. We were able to give, um, get a little leeway. So again, none of our patients have needed to be medicated. The babies haven't. And we've been able to monitor our babies for the five days that's recommended after delivery um, whose moms have been on buprenorphine. And it has not thrown off our hospital length of stay number. So it is possible. And these babies don't need to be one-on-one in a NICU. It's actually better to have them in the room with the mom. So if you're thinking you're going to do this in your community, well, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to need protocols. You're going to need to train your staff. And uh, and so education is a big part of doing obstetrics with buprenorphine in a in a small to medium-sized community. And, you know, I, we are going to do a whole podcast dedicated to neonatal opioid withdrawal. I think that's just going to be super important. Um, that's news to that me. That is news to him like right now. So most hospitals are familiar with the Finnegan, which is the, the withdrawal scoring system for babies. There's a lot newer research out with this eat, sleep, console. And so I think our future podcast will be on the eat, sleep, console method and what this breaks down and really looks like and how much better these babies have done. And really just 
having open communication with the education, whether it's with your nurses, the moms, it, it just makes it so much more comfortable for everybody involved. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, obviously having a social worker in your hospital or in your clinic is really helpful for this process. But the reality is what we're trying to do is to get a healthy mom and baby through this pregnancy and avoid any kind of uh, involvement of child protection. I think that's always uh, been the goal. Uh, they want to take their baby home. They want to take their baby home just like everybody else. And, you know, I'm not saying that child protection is a bad thing. And I think sometimes child protection does get a bad rap and people are afraid of child protection um, needs to be renamed for sure. But getting the county involved just helps increase resources to that mom, baby, family, dyad, tried whatever. And so even involving them up front can just make the whole transition smoother and also let child protection know that this program is available in your community and to not be afraid of it or question it either. Yeah. So that's having a baby on Bup. So let's talk a little bit about another, <laughs> another area of your hospital. It's that simple. It's that simple. Did we mention though, the number one reason why you should do this? What is it? To, to just increase prenatal care. Like that's really the bottom line. I don't think we just said that. Nope, we did not. We did but not. I think that's the key. I mean, if you if you don't give these patients the opportunity to be on treatment and go through their pregnancy, and if they're if they're using heroin and other opioids and illicit substances through the pregnancy, the outcomes are much worse if they do not have prenatal care. So, prenatal care is the key. The key. So let's switch um, a little bit from one icky health thing, being pregnancy, just kidding, to another, you know, other infectious diseases that can sometimes be related to uh, opioid use disorder, that being some of these infectious complications like HIV, hepatitis B or C. Yeah, and I think we often, uh, I think hepatitis C, we, we don't think about it so, so much. We screen for it a lot, but the reality is it kills more than 60 other reportable infections. So it really is quite common, and, and the number of people that die is really significant. And then HIV, you know, you were in training when the whole HIV and AIDS thing came out. I, I was, was in diapers. And I think there's always a little bit of an unknown of, obviously we all know how HIV can get transmitted, but one in 10 HIV diagnoses is actually due to IV drug use. And so it's always important to ask your patients, like, are you injecting your drugs? And not only are you doing that, but are you sharing needles? Are you, how are you cleaning your supplies? What are you doing with all the parts? Because um, licking needles, sharing needles, reusing needles just increases that chance of um, not only hep C, but HIV as well. Yeah, and hep C, really, if you look at 2004 to 2014, that's really when people began injecting uh, much more and you know, there was a 400% increase in HCV. So I think that hep C just took off. And I, and it's not just hep C, it's hep B as well, which has also been on the rise. Uh, really since uh, even during 2014, there was 200,000 new cases. So I think it's all of the hepatitises. It's really infectious disease as a whole. Our buprenorphine programs that we that we start are, are going to keep patients away from the injectables. <laughs> the injectables just seem like some type of like facial thing like Botox. But anyway, no. I think the whole thing with everything with the injectables and infectious diseases is really back to that whole harm reduction thing. And so in a program, it's important to 
do buprenorphine programs, increase that access to MAT, but also educate patients whether you know they're still not ready to to be in an MAT program, but really the education to try to help um, lower the spread. Um, needle exchange programs, which is, is very uh, extreme on one end, but really giving the ability to use clean needles is going to drop those infectious disease um, transmissions just much lower. And then obviously testing patients. Yeah. And I think that needle exchange, I think one of the biggest parts of that is having access uh, to those patients, be able to talk to them during those times uh, when they come in. And and I think most people that run needle exchanges will tell you that a lot of those patients uh, they convinced to to get help, and so I think uh, it's got really two parts. Two. That, that's a good point, which it segues just so beautifully into the the final section of this podcast today is the discussing the emergency department, because you know it's kind of the whole thing. Like everything else, is there's this recidivism, if you will, in the ER where patients are coming in and out of the ER, whether they got they overdose and they got brought to the ER. And then, you know, they had gotten Narcan, so they're an instant withdrawal, and then they leave. Or um, they come in after getting Narcan on the street. The ERs are just like this catchment area where how many patients go to the ER before they go into a primary care clinic and definitely before they go to an addiction clinic. So really getting your ERs buy-in is just humongous. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's, you know, there's a lot of things that are confusing for me, but one of the things that's confusing to me about the ERs, you know, we train all of our ER doctors to do, you know, to take care of these car wrecks and they have to have ATLS and they have to be able to take care of heart attacks and they do all these things. Well, overdose deaths are now higher than deaths from car accidents. And my question would be, why don't ER doctors need to be wavered? Uh, Because they could save lives. And if you look at the the number of patients who come in and receive Narcan and are discharged, the percentage of those patients that die over a year is really quite high. Mm -hmm. And so we should be looking at, you know, how can we change that cycle? Exactly. And I think it's asking why, again, not only why are they not, but what's the holdup? And I think if you think about it from the perspective of that emergency department, you know, they're used to this patient. So think about a patient who just got Narcan they're in instant withdrawal. So they're sick, they're yelling, they're belligerent, they're they're vomiting, they leave AMA a lot. And so this is historically what they have been seeing all this time. And so now you're saying, okay, now we want you to keep them in their ER, give them buprenorphine, which you don't know anything about, make them hang out with you for about an hour or two, and then let them leave. And they're, they're thinking you just grew an extra head. But again, it's that whole education thing, just like the nurses on the OB floor. It's just that education and explaining to them that giving them this medication, they won't be sick and belligerent anymore. They'll be super grateful. Yeah, and I think often ER staff has become a little galvanized uh, as these patients have frequented the ER and been complicated and difficult and uh, trying to convince them that that they can help them and they can change that path, I think, is just so important. Well... And there's that whole um, drug-seeking thing, too, is that when they think of patients who are using opioids, they they also think of the patients who've been coming in for years with this pain, that pain, this pain, that pain, trying to get more pain meds. So they have this picture in their mind, and it's really trying to change the way you think, if you will. Yes, and I think part of the key for the ER is having a place to send patients. We are... We actually uh, uh, did some training uh, for some people in Alaska, and they had all kinds of access to 
buprenorphine in the hospital, but had had difficulty getting them in as follow-up. Uh, there was nobody to send them to. So I think it's a it's got to really be a process where the ER has some place to send them, and that needs to be seamless. I think one of my favorite stories, I'm going to say this a lot, I think. Don't cry. <laughs> Don't cry. One of my favorite stories out of our ER is, you know, we should have really started in our ER earlier on, but we didn't. It just, it was one of our faux pas, I guess. But when we talked to our ER providers and the one jumped on board, got wavered, you know, of course he got the waiver, but he was still a little bit unfamiliar. So one of our nurses actually went down and did that first induction with that patient with him. And just hearing his description of this patient in front of him coming in like that, you know, wicked witch on the West or this belligerent, sick, icky person, he actually described her as walking out of the ER looking like a princess. Like that is a dramatic thing. And so sometimes you just needed to be willing to help a little bit more up front, especially if you're comfortable with this patient population and with using buprenorphine, which will make all the payoff later on down the road. Exactly. Exactly. So... So I think that's all we have for today. Uh, we kind of hit the areas of our hospital that uh, you know really need to change as part of your community program, and uh, really the effects that these changes can have on your community is I think uh, is huge, and it can really change the trajectory of lives. And I think that's the important thing to to really take home today, Doctor Bell. I agree. So we will leave you again with our in-house band, Battle Legs. We're going to leave you with a. Kind of a fun song. Um, I, I thought I heard them warming up. I think I did too. I could do this. No, you can't. She, nope, I can't. She can't get it um, to work. I can't get it to work. But anyway, we're going to let them play Let's All Drive on uh, everyone's, whether you're driving or running or doing whatever, listening to this right now. But they're going to sing Let's All Drive and we'll let Battle Lakes take it over. And we'll, hopefully you'll come to listen next week. Thanks again.